If you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and be turning to Psalm 119. And that's where we want to get our, our start from here in just a little bit. But just as a, a bit of a recap of where we've been at, uh, whenever we finished up our, our last book study, I, uh, I guess it wasn't really a book study, it was a, a subject study. I've just been kind of hitting a few little bit random topics, but they kind of started going together and it kind of came its own subject. And uh, so what we've been looking at is different things that regarding our spiritual health, our Christian walk. And so we've talked about uh, we've talked about the right motive uh, in serving God, and many people are motivated out of uh, out of selfishness, out of greed. I'm serving God for what I can get out of Him. Some are serving God out of guilt. I've got to repay something, and so that's why I'm serving Him. Uh, some people do it because they think it's just what's expected. Uh, maybe it's just what they've always done. But I believe that the right reason for us serving God is out of love and gratitude. Uh, after all that he's done for us and the way that he cares for us, the way that he loves us, uh, the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And so we serve him out of love and out of gratitude for what he has already done. Uh, we've talked about having balance in our Christian lives, that we are prone to uh, extremes one way or the other way. And I said that the, Satan doesn't care which direction he gets us. He doesn't care uh, which ditch he pushes us into as long as we get out of the right path. And uh, so we need to be careful about being unbalanced. We talked about what, uh, what love really is from a biblical perspective. The world has been trying to redefine what love is and uh, has been pushing that, uh, been using that word an awful lot. But whenever we get into the Bible and see what love is, uh, it is so much greater, more precious than just some kind of a feeling or than some sort of a mood that we're in. It's not some kind of a magic spell. But it is the idea of actually uh, caring about someone and putting their needs before our own. The Bible says that for God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. And so love causes us to give and give unconditionally. And so we've seen that and uh, a few other things that we looked at. We looked at uh, uh, having convictions and standards in our lives. We're convinced of some things, and so we put uh, boundaries, guidelines in our lives to keep us from stepping over those lines that we believe we find uh, are in line with God's Word and God's will for our lives. So we put those in place. And last week, what we were looking at uh, was prayer. And prayer is often misunderstood, and often it's neglected. And whenever we looked at it last week, we saw that we have, as I've said already, we have a, an invitation to come to God in prayer because we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, and he is before us making intercession for us from, through God because of the sacrifice that he has given, because of what he has done, because that he has uh, given us a means to be reconciled with God, our relationship uh, restored with God, we can come to God boldly. We can come to him and cast all of our cares upon him, for he cares for us. The Bible says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so we see that prayer uh, does things. The Bible says that if a man has uh, faith as a mustard seed, that's very, very small, right? Just a tiny bit of faith that he can move mountains. And I believe that to be uh, figurative. It's not God's will for us to go around and speaking to mountains and moving them around. But oftentimes we have things that seem like mountains in our lives. And whenever we are uh, coming to God in faith, 
coming to him, um, I guess maybe I got a bit ahead of myself in this, just the act of prayer is an act of uh, uh, humility. It is an act of faith. It is an act of dependence. Because whenever we're coming to God in prayer, we are acknowledging that we aren't able, that we don't have the strength, that we don't have the power, but that we know that he is able, that he has the strength, that he has the power. And so that is an act of faith, an act of dependence. And so we come to him in prayer, and with that, he does much. But the Bible says that oftentimes we have not because we ask not. And so I think a lot of times we neglect prayer. We depend on ourselves. We try to uh, figure it out ourselves. We try to use our own wisdom, our own abilities, our own talents, or whatever it is, and try to make things happen. And we, le- we leave God behind almost like a spare tire. Whenever all else fails, whenever we uh, get the end of our rope, whatever it is, then we finally reach out to him. But he shouldn't be our last resort. He should be the first one that we go to because the Bible says that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that he is always there with us. And so we should be going to him with every need. And so we saw that last week, and I've encouraged you to uh, emphasize prayer in your life. Go to him. We talked about how we we pray daily uh, through different things, but that we can pray um Whenever there is something that comes to our mind, whenever there is a care that comes to our mind, a concern, whenever there is a need that we are met with, we can go to God anytime. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that we are to be constantly in a state of prayer, but that we are always connected with God. And whenever things come up in our lives, that we can pray about anything, everything, anywhere, everywhere. Right? And so I'd encourage you to do that. This week, what we're going to be doing is uh, looking at something else that is important for our spiritual health. And we're going to be talking about our relationship with God's Word, our relationship with the Bible. And uh, I know that the Bible can be uh, daunting to a lot of people. They look at it, and it seems like it is a uh, uh, hard book for us to understand. Uh, We can look at it piece by piece, and uh, it seems confusing to us. But in reality, we find that the Bible tells one story. And that from beginning to end, it is a story of God's working in this world and in mankind to bring about the restoration and the redemption of mankind. We see the fall of man at the very beginning of it. And God immediately promised that he was going to make a way for that fall to be fixed, for there to be a reconciliation, for us to be reconnected to God, for us to regain what Adam and Eve lost. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see God producing a lineage through which Christ would come, The New Testament, we start out with the Gospels, the good news that that uh, sacrifice that was promised, the lamb that would take away the sins of the world, would come to us. And so we see his death, burial, his resurrection, and then the preaching of that good news throughout the remainder of the New Testament, telling about how the church began and how it spread throughout the world based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that God sent his son to save mankind. And so we see that throughout the word of God. But throughout the Word of God, we also find that it's more than just that story, but it's also telling how God relates to us, what He thinks of us, how He intends for the world to work, how He, uh, the things that are good for us, the things that are healthy for us, the things that are wise for us. We find that in the Word of God. Not only that, it outlines what the future holds. A lot of people would like to know, uh, people will consult. Uh, the crystal ball and psychics and horoscopes and all kinds of things, wanting to know what the future holds, right? 
But the Bible already has laid out what God's plan is through the rest of the age, throughout this time until uh, eternity future. He's already laid it out in his word and told us all the things that we need to know. And for the believer, that brings hope, that brings comfort, that brings peace. We already know the end. The old, uh, the old saying is, I've read the back of the book and we win. Right? And so we can see that in the word of God. And it brings hope, it brings security. And so as we look at these three things, well, three different things here, we find that three of the things I believe that are most important to our health as Christians, as believers, is prayer, which we talked about last week, uh, the Word of God, and church attendance. Okay, And the reason why I say church attendance is because we are meant to have fellowship and encouragement. The Bible says that we, get, we gather together to receive instruction, to receive encouragement, right? To bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another, to help one another, to glean knowledge, wisdom, insight from one another. So that's what we're doing as we come together. And so those are the three things that I believe are necessary for us to be healthy as Christians. If any of those are lacking, our Christian walk, our spiritual health is also going to be lacking. And so that's some of the reasons why we're teaching on these things. But I want us to concentrate just this evening on this one of our relationship with the Bible. And if we aren't careful, these things that we're talking about, these uh, Christian disciplines, end up becoming more like a chore for us. And people will fall into this um, fall into this habit, I guess, of, okay, well, these are things that are necessary. These are things that are good for me, so I have to do them, right? And so we end up getting in this rut, in this chore of, okay, well, pastor says I got to read my Bible, so I'm going to read my Bible today. Pastor says it's good for us to pray, so I'm going to pray today. I'm supposed to go to church, so I'll be there. You, you know what I mean? We end up being as a chore going through these things, right? And there's a lot of things that we do in our life as a habit. And just because they're a habit doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong, right? There's lots of things that we do uh, as a habit, and it doesn't mean it has to be mindless or futile or ineffective. Uh, we can think about some of the chores, some of the habits that we have, and they have a purpose, and they are essential for our mental and our physical health, we know the benefits, we take them seriously. For instance, uh, how many of y'all brushed your teeth today? Okay. That's a habit. That's a good habit, right? And we try to instill it in our kids from a young age, brush your teeth. Well, why do you have to brush your teeth? Well, if you don't, your breath will smell bad. Your teeth are going to become unhealthy. You're going to get gingivitis and gum disease, receding gum lines. You're going to end up with cavities and tooth decay and rot, you end up losing your teeth. The next thing you know, you're going to have fake teeth, right? And then you still have to brush those. So that's just a habit, and that's a good habit, but we see the benefit of that habit, so we do it every day. I mean, some of these times we, we get tired of habits, don't we? It's like, oh, i got to do this again. For instance, uh, washing dishes. That's something that you have to do constantly, Right? I know the girls fuss that as soon as they get the dishes washed, somebody comes and throws another plate or another fork in. But what happens when we don't do the dishes? Yeah. Yeah, it smells, breeds all kinds of uh, uncleanness and nasties, right? And you don't have anything to eat off of, and, you know, we like to eat. What is it? 
buy another set? Well, they eventually get dirty too, and you run out of room to put them. I guess you can you can get the disposable ones, right? It gets expensive. Taking a shower. Now that's that's pretty important, isn't it? Some people uh, underestimate the importance of taking a shower, but the, these are habits that we get into. Doing laundry. If you don't wash your clothes, it's going to stink, right? And so I know this is kind of silly, these examples that I'm bringing out, but these are things that we are constantly doing, things that we see the necessity of, things that we see how important it is, and so we keep doing them. We may grumble occasionally about it, but we know that we got to keep doing it because of how important it is. So whenever we look at Christian disciplines, uh, we know that we need to be doing these things, but a lot of times we lose sight of the benefit of the reason for doing these things because it seems like sometimes uh, we sometimes the consequences uh, come a little bit more slowly than a pile of dirty dishes or than some bad body odor because you haven't showered for a week, right? Sometimes the the um, consequences of neglecting our spiritual health uh, are a little bit more subtle than those things. And we don't realize that it's happening. And so it makes it easy for us to neglect these godly disciplines or overlook their importance. Okay? And so the consequences of neglecting these spiritual dis disciplines are even more severe, though, than a cavity or a sink full of dirty dishes because our spiritual health is extremely important. It has effects in all aspects of our lives and that of all the people who are around us, our family, our friends, and different things. And so with that in mind, I do want to discuss the benefits of Bible reading and how to go about it. And I've had you to turn to Psalm 119. And those who are familiar with this chapter know it's the longest chapter in the Bible. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Okay? I'll tell you that ahead of time. I'm not reading the whole thing. But it's the longest chapter in the Bible. But also it is a chapter that praises the Word of God. It shows thankfulness toward the Word of God. It shows the benefits of the Word of God. So I am going to read several verses here, but I'm not going to read the whole chapter. So if you start wondering where I'm going to quit, it's not going to be that far. Okay? So Psalm 119, we're going to start in verse number 1. And it says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. So that's the first reference to the Word of God. The law of the Lord is another, uh, another term for the Scriptures. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of, of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies, much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts 
and have respect unto thy ways. I will, excuse me, verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto the judgment at all times. Thy judgment at all times. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. So we'll stop there for now. But with almost every verse that I just read, there was a reference to God's word. Uh, there was different words that was used, his commandments, his law, his word, his statutes, his way. But all of this was praising God's word, and it was telling the benefits and the blessings of taking God's word, applying it to our lives, taking his word and allowing it to be a guide and to be a light for us to walk by. And so as we look at the word of God, we have to acknowledge that it is, in fact, God's word, that this isn't just some book. It's not something that man just made up and decided to put out there, but that it is, in fact, what it says it is, that it's the word of God, that God has taken through the the long period of time in which it was written. The Bible was written over about a 1,500-year period on three different continents, on, in three different languages, by about 40 different authors telling one story. And just those facts in and of themselves tell us that this isn't just merely a man-made book. It has to be supernatural in its, uh, in its making because mankind couldn't come up with it if they wanted to. With the things that are written in it, it is beyond man's ability to come up with and to put it into paper. So God has given us this Bible, this book, uh, for instruction, for us to know who he is and for us to relate to him and know what he has done and what he desires for us and what he's going to do in the future. And so it's important for us to look at this as not just a uh, mere document, but as it is the truly uh, the Word of God, okay? And so as we look at these passages, it is... I've got too many things in my, my notes here. Anyway, as we look at these passages, it tells us quite a bit about God's Word just from what I've read. Verse 3 uh, it says, they also do no iniquity, they walk in thy ways. So the word of God helps us to stay away from iniquity, away from sin. And it helps to cleanse us. We'll see that in a minute. Uh, I skipped over verses 1 and 2. We have the word blessed or blessed. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies. That word blessed or blessed in the Bible means happy. We like to be happy, right? We want to be happy. And we know that sin, we know that things that uh, God has shown in, uh, in his word that are not right in his eyes, things that he has declared to be unhelpful, unhealthy, wrong for us. He has done that for a reason. It's not that he's just arbitrarily saying, don't do this and don't do that. A lot of people have the wrong idea about the word of God and about God himself as if he is just setting up there arbitrarily saying, uh, do this and don't do that. But in reality, as we look at the Word of God, He is doing these things, saying uh, this is the route to uh, this is the route to happiness. This is the route to success, to health. Uh, 
and not by men's standards. I'm not saying that uh, you follow God or you become a Christian or whatever, and your bank account's going to be full and you're never going to have problems, you're never going to have difficulties. But instead, if you follow what God says, you're going to truly see success in this life. You're surely going to see happiness. You're going to have uh, the type of life that he desires for you whenever you live it according to his standards, according to his word. Okay? And so blessed or happy are those that keep his word. Uh, it's going to cause them to not do iniquity. Verse number four, thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Uh, just the fact there that he commanded us. As we're looking through the word of God, uh, sometimes some things we do out of obedience because God has said this is what's good for you. We think about it as parents with children. A lot of times the children may not understand everything or every reason why the parents do what they do. But if they're wise, they will listen to the parents because usually the parents have a reason behind what they're doing, right? God has a reason behind what he has put in his word. And whenever we see what he has put and we say, okay, I may not understand it. I may not know all of it. I may not know the whys behind it, but I do know God. I know his heart for me. I know his love for me. And so I'm going to obey it, trusting that it is what's good. Okay, so obedience. Verse number six, it says, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. That word ashamed uh, in, in the Bible, it means that uh, we'll not be disappointed. To be ashamed means to be disappointed. Okay? And so whenever we are following his word, whenever we are living in the way that he has laid out, it is going to help us to avoid disappointments. Okay? Verse number nine. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking he there into according to thy word? It cleanses us. We know that we have a bent towards sin. We desire things that are not good for us. We desire things that are harmful to us. If a person is left to their own, uh, their own devices and whatnot, they will self-destruct. Just think about a child. If a child does not have a parent guiding and directing them, they are going to get into all kinds of nonsense that is going to be harmful to them. And even as adults, if we are not careful, our heart, our desire is toward everything that is unhealthy. And it manifests itself in different ways. Uh, I often use the, uh, the illustration of our diet. What are the things that our body, our flesh, craves the most when it comes to food? Sugar, Sugar sweets. All the things that's worse for us, right? Anyone ever have cravings for broccoli and carrots? I don't even know if you have a craving for it then. It's just like, yeah. But we don't crave, we don't desire the things that are good for us. We desire oftentimes the things that are bad for us, and a lot of times in excess. And if we don't have something to curb that, to control that, then we will uh, wreck ourselves. Even in relationships and marriages and whatnot, if we're not careful in keeping ourselves in check, our flesh is constantly wondering and and after things that it shouldn't have. Many marriages have ended because people have chose to indulge in what the flesh is after, right? And so this is what ends up happening. We end up playing to the lowest denominator. We end up going to all of these things that are not good, not healthy for us. And so whenever we have the word of God, it is lighting the path. It is directing our feet. It is cleansing our way. It is redirecting our thoughts. It is redirecting our perspective, the way that we look at things. Uh, just continuing through this, verse 11, 
It says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Taking in God's word is going to help us to be informed about the things that are good for us, the things that are not good for us. It's going to give us something to base our decisions off of to keep us from going against the things that God has outlined in his word and in his will for us. Uh, verse number 14, he says, I have rejoiced in thy way, or in the way of thy testimonies, as much as in all riches. He's saying that God's word is more valuable to him than wealth. He doesn't say than riches, he says than all riches. He says, I would rather do without and have God's word than have all the wealth of this world and do without it. For one thing, if we have all the wealth of the world and we don't have the principles of the word of God, we're probably not going to have the wealth very long. And if we have the wealth without the wisdom of God's word, we're not going to have life and health to enjoy the wealth. Right? So it all works together there. Verse number 18, he says, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. This has a principle for us here in approaching God's word in prayer. He is saying, God, open my eyes. Give me the ability to see your word for what it is. Help me to understand your word. And I believe that it's good whenever we come to God's word, when we start reading the Bible, it's good to approach it in prayer. They go hand in hand, right? Say, God, I'm getting ready to read your word. I know there are great truths there. I know there's things that you want me to know out of this. Open my eyes that I can see them. Help me to see the truth of your word as I'm reading it. Okay. And then verse number 24, it says, Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. So his delight, he says, as I'm looking at God's word, I'm amazed. I am delighted in the truths that I'm finding. I'll tell you, even, this might be a little bit of a side note on it, but even much of our laws and much of our government today is based off of truths that's found in God's word. We find the seeds of them. Now I know government is becoming corrupted and many of the laws are ungodly, but the basis for much of our government, especially in the Western world, is from the truths that we find in the Word of God. And so as we're looking at God's Word, we can start to delight, we can kind of be amused by the things that we find in the Word of God because it has the wisdom of God, it has all of the knowledge that He is desiring for us to receive from him. And so it should be a source of delight, not a source of duty, not a source of dread for us as we approach the word of God. And the last thing that it said there in verse number 24, they're also his counselors. And I don't know if you, you ever go to people for counsel and get bad counsel. You go and talk to someone, get some advice, and you're like, man, that was terrible advice. Or maybe you take advice, and then after the fact, it's like, man, they didn't know what they were talking about. They messed me up. You won't have that in the Word of God. The Word of God has good counsel for us. It deals with all the issues of life, and we can go to it, and we can glean knowledge and wisdom and how to make decisions, what direction to go in our lives from the Word of God. And so just a few thoughts here uh, on benefits of reading the Bible. Uh, I said, as we were talking about some of our other examples with brushing our teeth and all that, we know the benefits, right? And so we do it because we know the benefits. And so what I'm trying to convince you is of the importance of us being familiar with the Word of God, with having a good relationship with the Word of God. And so I think we need to know what the benefits are, right? 
And so one of the benefits is, and this is very simple. Okay, you all know I'm not real profound. Uh, in the Bible, we learn of God. We learn who God is. As we look around the world, everybody has a different opinion, a different definition of who God is. You have all these different religions and people throw up their hands and say, how do we know who God is? Well, he's given us an entire book telling us. And a lot of times we neglect the word of God and we don't get into it and find out, okay, who does God say he is? If there is a God out there, if he has created all things, if he has an eternity before us, if there is a heaven and a hell, then shouldn't we want to put a little bit of effort into getting to know who he is, getting related or getting, uh, what's the word? Acquainted, there you go, getting acquainted with him. We should want to put a little bit of effort into that. He's put great effort into just making this available to us. You start studying the history of this book a little bit, how it came together, what all it's been through, how often it's been uh, tried to be destroyed, and yet it prevails. God's put great effort in putting it into our hands, and he has made it available to us so that we can read it, we can study it, we can learn who he is, what he has to say to us. Uh, another thing that we find there. I had a passage written down there if you want to take a note of it and look at it later. But in John chapter 5 and verse 39, he says, um, uh, I won't go and flip over there. I'm going to misquote it. But he is speaking to those who are against him, those who uh, make themselves enemies, and the ones who eventually end up uh, crucifying him. And in John chapter number 5, verse 39, he says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And so the, the Jewish leaders of those days, they, they believed that they were scholars in scriptures, that they knew everything about it, and that by all of their works and all of their doing, that they were able to save themselves by being good Jews by being very religious. And he says, I need you to search the scriptures a little bit more because that entire book that you think is about you, that entire book that you think is just commands and laws in which you're trying to keep in order to save yourself, all of that points to me, the one who ultimately came to save you. It all points to Jesus, okay? And so the reason I'm bringing this out in this, this idea here, we're learning about God, we're learning about Christ, and Jesus told those guys at that time that the entire Old Testament was about Jesus. The entire New Testament is about Jesus. And he says, search the scriptures. Look at it. It tells about him. Second thing that we find is that it teaches us what is right. And in the same vein, it, it exposes what's wrong. Second Timothy, chapter number three, and this is a passage that I've referenced often. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, down to verse number 13, it says, But evil men and seducers shall work, excuse me, shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in all righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And so in that passage, it's telling us that uh, the word of God is profitable to us. It is something that is beneficial, something that's good to us, and that it is profitable for doctrine. Okay, that tells us what's good, what's right. For reproof, that tells us what's wrong. For correction, that tells us how to get right. And for instruction in righteousness, that tells us how to stay right. And that's all found in the word of God. And it says that the man of God may be perfect. And that word doesn't mean that you are without any flaw or without any fault, but it means that we are mature. We are on the right path. We are right with God. And we may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so the Bible contains everything that we need to know what's right, what's wrong, and how to live right, how to stay right. It contains it all. That means that we don't need anything else. We don't need uh, extra books and traditions and uh, experts and everything else. So the Bible contains all of these things. That we may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. And so with that, we need to study them. And in the first verses that I read there, verse 13, it talks about how evil seducers or evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And we see that going on in the days we live in. But we have everything that we need so that we're not going to be susceptible to that. We're not going to follow after lies. We're not going to be fooled because he has supplied everything that we need to know. And so that's one very important reason for us to read the word of God, to study it, because if not, if we're not familiar with what God's word says, then anyone that comes along spouting any kind of lies, any kind of heresies, we're going to gobble it up because we don't know any better. I've brought up many times that Paul uh, uh, commends the church that was in Berea because as he was coming and preaching and teaching to those people there, uh, they were taking everything that the Apostle Paul said, going back to the Old Testament scriptures and fact-checking the Apostle Paul. They said, okay, we're going to listen to you, but if you say anything that doesn't line up with the scripture, then we're going to throw you out on your ear. That was to the Apostle Paul. And so we find that whenever we're in the Word of God, when we know what it says, we can have confidence in what we believe, and we're not going to be easily led astray. We're not going to be deceived. We can have confidence that what we believe is truth. And so we said it, exposed, it tells us what's right, it exposes what's wrong. Uh, it provides hope for the future. And I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but as we read through the Word of God, it lays out what all is going on now. As we look at some of the craziness that's going on in the world with the wars and famines and uh, immorality, different things that's taking place, if we're not careful, we lose our mind. We get worried. We get concerned. But just the passage that I read said that evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse. So it's like, hey, God predicted it. This is going to happen. Talks about famines and wars and all these different things happening. And we start looking around us and say, well, there's, there's all these things going on. And we look at the Bible and say, well, God said it was going to happen. But what happens after that? Things go through a series of events that he outlines in Scripture, and before it's over with, those who have trusted in Christ as their Savior, those who belong to him, are going to spend forever in heaven with him. He's going to straighten it all out before it's over with. 
This isn't just going to go on and on into oblivion, that this world's not going to go forward until it self-destructs, that mankind's not the one who is in charge of this, but God has already laid out ahead of time a way that things are going to go and a limit to the depravity that will take place on this earth, the wickedness that he will allow, and whenever it comes to a time, he's going to set all things right. Ultimately, God's in control. He's not causing everything, but he is preventing many things, and he is causing things to follow a specific and foreknown timeline. Okay, So it assures us that whenever everything looks like it's falling apart, everything seems like chaos, that God is still in control. So we can pillow our head at night. We can rest easy with knowing that someone much bigger and much greater than anyone on this earth is still running the show. He still knows what's going on, and it will happen just as he said that it would. Okay, so we can have hope for the future, assurance for our souls. Uh, it provides instruction for this life. Uh, one of the, the greatest books in the Bible, as far as just instruction for life, would be Proverbs. You go through Proverbs, you've got 31 chapters, and most of them are made up of very short, uh, generalized observations about life and about the way that things work. You go through the Proverbs, and it's talking about wisdom and having wisdom. It's talking about uh, how we live our lives just in a very practical day-to-day -day way. That's the book of Proverbs. That's not the only one. We find all kinds of warning through all the historical books uh, where God is dealing with different people, where things are happening in their lives. People are making mistakes. People are making good choices. All of these things, and it's showing how all of these work together and encouraging us to live by godly principles. And so it provides instruction for our life. Uh, I've already said this one, but it cleanses us. Uh, a good passage to go along with that, though, is Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians 5 is one that we often go to for family relationships, family dynamics, husbands, wives, parents, children. But one of the things that uh, one of the things the Lord says here in Ephesians 5, through the writings of Apostle Paul, down in verse number 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And so as you see in that passage, there is a correlation, a parallel. And he says, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And he talks about how the husband's words will cleanse the wife, how the husband's words have an effect on his wife. And it compares it to the Lord's words and his effect on the church, how it cleanses the church. And so it is a source of, we're not talking about cleaning from dirt. It's not a good pressure washing, right? But in cleansing, it's cleansing guilt. It's cleansing away the, the things that we struggle and the, the things that defile us, the things that trouble us. And how does it do that? It does it through reassurance. It does it with showing us how God loves us. It shows us how the Lord has uh, given so much for us, how he's not going to leave us or forsake us, how he uh, treasures us, how he's going away to provide a place for us. All these different things give us assurance, give us peace to where we can have confidence in the love that he has for us. And it endears us to him 
and helps us to be cleansed from all of these things that defile us, that pull us down, that wallow us in the dirt because of the love that he has for us, because of the things that he is instructing us and telling us with his words. Okay? Uh, we find that it is good and it's rewarding. Um, Psalm chapter 19. If you don't want to turn there, that's fine. You can note it and look later. Psalm chapter 19, verse number 9. It says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. And so we find that uh, the psalmist is talking about the judgments of God, the truths of God's word, and says that it is more valuable than gold, it's sweeter than honey, right? And that in keeping his word and keeping his statutes, that there is great reward. So uh, the last thing that I bring out is that it equips us for battle. The Bible says that we have an adversary, the devil, who goes about seeking at, uh, goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And in Ephesians chapter number six, it starts going through what's commonly known as uh, the spiritual armor the armor of the believer, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, all these different things. And it is a, a picture for us of using these spiritual things to guard our mind, our body, and our soul. And one of them that it talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay? And... I've known many people that would talk about the Bible as being a sword, but they would speak of it as if they were the ones that were wielding this sword, okay? As if we were the ones that were using this sword to fight the battles, but it says that this is the sword of the Spirit. So as we're taking the Word of God in, we know that the Spirit lives within us, and as we're taking the Word of God in, we are equipping the Spirit with what it needs to recall, recall to our memory whenever there's different battles that we face, whenever there's struggles and trials and troubles that we face. And if that sounds a little bit weird or you're unfamiliar with that, even as you look at whenever, uh, I believe it's in Matthew, where Jesus is led out in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. We're familiar with that passage? And every time the devil tempts him, the Lord responds by, it is written. Right? And he quotes the word of God. He quotes this, and the sword of the Spirit is deployed in that battle against the enemy. And so as we go through the Word of God and we commit it to memory, we are uh, getting familiar with the Word of God that whenever temptations come our way, whenever uh, the battles come our way, then the Spirit recalls these things to our memory to put away those temptations and those battles, to direct us and help us to make decisions and choose the right way and to forsake the wrong ways because we have committed these things to our heart. We go back to what we saw in Psalm 119. Uh, it talks about, uh, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How does that all work? We take the word of God, we commit it to our heart, to our mind, 
And whenever those temptations come, suddenly passages of Scripture start coming to our mind that lets us know what God thinks about it, what God has said about it, what God has instructed about that, and we are able to battle those temptations, to face those temptations, and come out on the right side of that. And so there's so many benefits to reading God's Word. It is necessary for us to grow, for us to have a healthy uh, walk with God, to know who He is, to know what's right, to know what's wrong, to be encouraged about the future and even about current events, for us to be able to overcome these temptations that come our way in the battles, to just know which direction to go whenever uh, decisions come our way and whenever uh, they are testing and trials. We know what God's Word says, and we can confidently go forward based on these godly principles. In the Bible, we find that it is compared to water, to bread, to milk, to meat, to honey. It is our spiritual nourishment. Okay? And so without the Word, we are ignorant of who God is. We are ignorant of sin. We're ignorant of the things that hurt us. We're ignorant of righteousness and where health and blessing is. We are left to our own devices and the world's methods for dealing with personal, rational, or relational, excuse me, and social issues that the Bible gives us great insight into. We have ignorance of God's promises, which leave us hopeless. And Satan uses our ignorance to attack us. And then the spirit is defenseless because we have disarmed him. And so I want to close with just a few thoughts on how we go about uh, having a relationship with the Word of God, how we go about reading it. I believe that we need to read God's Word intelligently. Okay, we don't check our brains at the door, but we read God's Word intelligently. There are some things we need to take in uh, to our hearts, we need to take in as knowledge whenever we approach the Word of God. Uh, I often talk about reading the Word of God in context, right? What does it mean to read it in context? Well, as you're reading, find out, for one thing, um, who's it being written to? Okay? Each of these books were authored to somebody. What time was it being authored? What was going on at that time? Right? We look at the, uh, the different epistles in the New Testament, and they were written to different people, to different churches that had different things that were going on. And so they would have understood it a certain way. We look at uh, the Word of God, and we find out, what genre was it? Okay. What I mean by that, there are different types of writing. This isn't just one book. It is a collection of books. And so you have historical books that are just recounting history. Okay. You have some that are poetic, Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. There's a lot of figurative language that are, is involved there. There's a lot of things that uh, use literary devices there. And so it's going to determine how you read it, how you interpret it, right? Uh, there's prophecy. There is the Gospels. There is, um, as I said, there's epistles, right? Epistles are letters. And so you're going to be reading them differently. You read it intelligently. You look at who he's talking to. Is he talking to the Jews? Because guess what? I'm not a Jew. Is it Old Testament before Christ? It means something different then. Uh, and so you look at all these different things. You read it intelligently and find out what it's about. I think you need to read God's Word regularly, just like brushing your teeth. Right? We talked about prayer last week, that we need to have uh, a time and a place to do that, because if it's not something that you do intentionally, if it's not something that you schedule, it's probably not going to happen. Right? Um, we need to read it expectantly. 
because the Bible is a living book. It means that the Holy Spirit can apply it to our hearts, to our lives, bring instruction to us. And so as we come to the Word of God, it's not just uh, some form of literature. It's not Oliver Twist. It's not uh, Lord of the Rings, right? But instead, it actually speaks into our lives, speaks to us. And so we come to it looking for wisdom, for information, for uh, God to give us something. Uh, even as the, the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. And I believe the Word of God is our daily bread. And so we come to it daily saying, God, I need something. I need some encouragement. I need some insight. I need some help from this. Speak to me. We're expecting as we come to it. Come to it obediently. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, talks about be doers of the word and not hearers only. And it compares someone who hears the word of God and refuses to do anything with what he, uh, with what he reads to a man coming up to a mirror, seeing in the mirror uh, the manner of man that he is, seeing you know his hair out of place or his face unshaven. He looks in the mirror and he turns away and does nothing about it. That'd be kind of foolish, wouldn't it? You go up to the mirror and you realize there's something in your nose right there. And it's like, ah, I'll leave it there for later. It'd be a little goofy, wouldn't it? But what if we come to the Word of God and we find that there are things in our life that is not pleasing to God? There's things in our life that the, the Bible tells us is going to cause us hurt, pain, suffering. And we say, yeah, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. So that's the comparison. We've got to come to the word of God obediently saying, okay, God, whatever you teach me from your word, whatever you show me from your word, as I become aware of the truths of your word, I'm going to apply them to my life, right? Because if you come to God's word and you say, well, I'm going to read it, but I'm not actually going to do anything that it says, is it going to be beneficial to you? Is it going to be helpful? No. Say, well, I'm already, I'm, I'm comfortable with where I'm at. I'm comfortable with what I know. I don't care what I hear out of the Bible. I don't care what it says. I'm going to keep doing me. But you've, already, you've got several other things wrong as well, right? But we need to come to the Word of God with a humble heart, obedient heart. Uh, for wherever we find the truths of God's Word, we apply them to our lives. We need to approach the Word of God with diligence as well. We need to put effort into it. Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so that means that we come to the word of God and we're actually putting a little bit of effort into it. And we're saying, okay, I want to read this. I want to understand it. I want to correctly discern, rightly divide what it's saying. Not just come to it with my own imaginings, my own interpretations or whatnot. But I want to actually look at Scripture and rightly divide, rightly discern what it is teaching. Okay? And so it does take effort in understanding. And so we need to come to it diligently. And just a couple practical ideas from this. When we come to the Word of God, we set out to read it. And a lot of times there's pressure. We talked about this with prayer. The idea of, okay, I've got to pray so much, so many times, for so long, right? We've all heard these kind of things. But what about when we come to the Word of God? People have the idea of, I've got to read so much of it. 
because it's our checklist, our chores, we got to check it off, right? But that's the wrong approach. Because when we come to the Word of God, we are wanting to read it with understanding. We're wanting to glean knowledge, to glean information, to grow spiritually, to draw closer to God, to gain instruction in our lives, right? And so it is more important that we take what we read and we can concentrate on it, meditate on it, think on it, seek to understand it, and to glean information, to glean uh, knowledge from that, than it is to just say, well, I read three chapters. You ever sit down and read the Bible, and then by the time you get done with it, you have no clue what you read? It's just like, well, I zoned out. My, my eyes made contact with every word, but at the end of it, I don't actually know what I read. Most likely, it didn't do you a whole lot of good then, did it? I mean, it could have done you some good. Going back with our earlier uh, example, you know, if I'm brushing my teeth and I just barely pass the brush over my teeth, well, it helped a little bit, right? But it's going to help me a lot more if I actually focus on what I'm doing, concentrate. I'm a little OCD about it, by the way. I, I spend too much time brushing my teeth. Just a little insight there. But anyway, um, if you just barely run the toothbrush over your teeth, help a little bit, right? If you just read through the Bible and you don't actually take time to understand what you're reading and pay attention to what you're reading, it may help a little bit. It'll clean you up just a little bit, maybe. But I think it's more important, not how much you read, how much time you spend reading, but the fact that you actually concentrate, pay attention, maybe get off quiet to where you can pay attention, and seek to actually get something from it, right? Whether you're reading two verses or two chapters or whatever it is, but the, the fact that you're actually looking to understand it, read it with understanding, get something out of it, right? Uh, same thing goes with the other illustration of washing dishes. You can just take the plate and pass it through the water on the other side. it help it just a little bit, won't it? Still don't know if I want to eat off of it. But anyway... So just practically, we need to be approaching the Word of God seriously, wanting to, uh, with, the, with the understanding this is something that is good, beneficial, this is essential to my walk with God. I want to come to the Word of God and get something out of it each day and understand what it is. Uh, Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So it's not just, okay, I'm going to reread Proverbs over and over and over and over. Or I like the book of John. I'm going to read it over and over and over and over again. But all Scripture has something for us, has good for us. So I think we need to read daily. I think we should read whenever we're discouraged. This is a source of encouragement for us. So in times whenever we're discouraged, whenever we don't know which way to go, whenever there's decisions that we need to be making, it's good to seek insight and understanding from God's Word. Uh, and so discourage when we need guidance, when we're guiding, whenever there are people who are looking to us for understanding and for counseling, we better be seeking wisdom in the Word of God. And so all these are different times that we should be uh, reading. So just in closing, God's Word shouldn't be a drudgery because it's God's love letter. It's life's instruction manual. It's a sneak peek into the future. And it is a complete collection of what God wants us to know. There's lots of things that we don't know, lots of things 
That's not contained in this book, but he says that in this book contain everything that we need for life and for godliness. That it is everything that we need to thoroughly furnish us unto all good works. So it should be important to us. So with that being said, does anyone have anything to add? Any questions, any comments, anything? Melody's trying to say something, but I don't know what it is. Okay. So, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll call it night. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we uh, uh, have this, this treasury of knowledge, of information, of things that you have put great effort into putting into our hands, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to change our perception, our perspective on this book, Lord, and uh, see it for what it is, uh, truly the Word of God. Lord, I just pray that we would uh, seek to read it, to understand it, to apply it to our lives, knowing that it's for the, the nourishing of our mind and for our soul. And Lord, I just pray, ask you, Lord, help us as we read it to understand it. I know that there's uh, there's things there that uh, it's, a, it's a deep well to mine. There's Many things that we're not going to understand immediately, but Lord, I just pray, help us, Lord, as we seek knowledge and wisdom in your word and seek to grow in your walk and walk with you, Lord. Thank you so much for all that you do and for all you're going to do. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name and amen.